Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to inquiry, reflection, questions, possibilities, and more, all in our effort to understand exactly what enlightenment means and what it is to be enlightened. Indeed, an hour dedicated to learning something more about ourselves, an hour designed to help us integrate all of our knowledge and perhaps even challenge some of those old ideas about the world we live in and the people we have become. This is an hour where we strive to evaluate knowing as inseparable from the total experience of reality. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room opens the moment our show goes live, so you can join Andrea there today. Usually, my partner, Ravinder, would meet you in the chat room as well, but she's away at school in Virginia for the next couple of weeks. To that end, if you're listening, Ravinder, we all miss you. Andrea, however, will see that your comments and questions get on the air. You can log on by going to Eldon Taylor, that's E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R dot com forward slash chat. Okay, Andrea, time for you to speak up and let everybody know what's happening in the chat room today. Hi, everyone out there. It's uh, it's a good day here in Spokane, Washington. Um, join us in the chat room. Again, it's eldentaylor.com forward slash chat. And we do have a video today, so you'll be want to make sure that you join us in the chat room. It'll be at the halftime break. And a good day in Spokane is exception lately. I mean, yes. <laughs> record cold yesterday, high of 44 degrees, record rains. So sunshines, that is an exception lately, isn't it? All right, every week I read a few of your letters as our way of paying respect to the importance you play in helping us to shape and improve our show. Last week our guest was Dr. Larry Dossie, and our discussion turned on the phenomena called premonitions. He informed us that premonitions are about biological survival. When I asked him if by that he meant the sanitized Darwinian concept of biological selection, he was quick to point out that in his view... Premonitions are evidence for a transcendental metaphysics, a non-local consciousness, and therefore the eternal nature of human consciousness. Dr. Dossie also stated that he believed premonitions in dreams should become a part of preventative health care. Elaine wrote, What I liked was that Dossie connected to your previous guest, Dr. Holloway, and how dreams do indeed prepare us. I can say that I was given some details of how things would play out before I had surgery. One notable thing was that they'd have me use a drug rather than than anesthesia. And yes, they did do this. Bit by bit, my premonition was played out. I highly valued the process because I felt somewhat clued in by the dream. Thank you again, Eldon. Well, thank you very much, Elaine, for sharing. Uh, You remember from last week's show, and those of you that missed it can still catch it in the archives, there were a number of examples where dreams indeed informed individuals of circumstances that when they acted upon, they were capable of, of preventing injury or saving life. From our chat room, Topaz remarked, Okay, now I'm feeling warm and fuzzy. Great conversation between Larry and Eldon. And David Doc from the chat room added, I canceled a patient's surgery because of a precognitive dream. Good for the patient, too. She died on the table in my dream. I told her to go to the cardiologist instead of to me, and she wound up with a quadruple bypass because of my dream. Wow. Another doctor willing to listen to inner guidance and save lives. Thanks for sharing, Diva Doc. Evelyn wrote, 
Thanks, Eldon, for having Larry Dossie on the radio program today. He is one of the pioneers who have helped many like myself bridge the gap between science and spirituality in our medical careers. Bravo and kudos to you both. Wendy wrote, Eldon, can you do some research and possibly a Hay House radio show on the sulfito tones? Some people are using them for energetic healing, and yet I can't find much information about them. Well, the answer to that, Wendy, is yes. And thank you uh, for your recommendation. We have indeed scheduled a show with Dr. Len Horowitz for August 30th, and we'll play some of these frequencies live over the airways as we discuss them during our broadcast. Now, Ron wrote, I have been in the process of improving the quality of my life. I have researched many avenues and dealt with many professionals. I can relate well to your thought process and applaud both your determination and wisdom. I recorded several of your radio broadcasts. I'm reading two of your books now and have your DVD on order. My next step is to investigate your CDs. A grateful individual says, thank you. You have made a difference. Well, thank you very much, Ron, for a new warm fuzzy. I do cherish those. Sholey wrote, Eldon Taylor, simply put, you rock. No, I like that. Your information is so well put together, leading edge, and professionally presented. I am in continual amazement that there is someone on this planet who has figured this out. I feel like your information is what I have been searching for my whole life. An immediate change took place in my disposition upon listening to the Serenity CD that accompanies your mind programming book. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so appreciative that you exist on this planet and spent your life exploring this curious thing we call the mind. From the bottom of my heart, love, Sholi. Well, and to you, Sholi, uh, thank you again for another warm fuzzy. And from the bottom of my heart to the bottom of yours. Lois wrote, after working with a spiritual teacher who attempted to brainwash me to transform my ego, which resulted in more fear of God, I am thrilled to have found Eldon Taylor's book, Mind Programming. I have listened to the accompanying CD twice, and the music is like a soft blanket that covers my soul. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Well, thank you, uh, Lois. And, and I'd encourage all of you to take a look at Mind Programming. If you haven't yet obtained your copy, you can get it at Amazon. It's around $10, and it comes with a free CD that we sell every day for twenty seven ninety five. Anita wrote regarding our free MP3 programs. Thank you so much. I love and appreciate your program and guests. Well, you're more than welcome, Anita. And I'll use your letter to remind everyone out there that you can download on any of several Intertalk programs absolutely free by going to eldentaylor.com and choosing free programs from the left-hand navigation pane. These programs are the real deal, the patented and scientifically proven effective Intertalk technology just a part of our own Pay It Forward program. While you're there, be sure to sign up for my free newsletter featuring self-realization articles in every issue. Okay, Colette wrote regarding my newest book, What If? The Challenge of Self-Realization. Loved the book, changed my thought process and perceptions in general. Thanks, Eldon. Thank you, Colette. And if you've not yet obtained your copy of this one, you can still take advantage of the special launch offer. And when you get your copy at Barnes & Noble or Amazon, you can also receive hundreds of bonus gifts from famous name authors. Check out the details on my site, eldentaylor.com, by choosing the banner featuring the book. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your email to Eldon, E-L-D-O-N, at eldentaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. 
You can also just leave comments on my website. I do try to read all of your letters. Obviously, we can't get them all on the air, but they do impact our programming. I highly value your input. So once again, thank you. Now to today's show. The Deja Vu Enigma. A journey through the anomalies of mind, memory, and time. Deja vu is defined, is defined, I'll get that said, as a feeling of having already experienced the present situation. Deja vu is French for already seen. I don't think I know a single person that has not actually had such a feeling at some time in their lives. Dickens, writing in David Copperfield, expressed deja vu this way. Quote, We have all some experience of a feeling that comes over us occasionally of what we are saying and doing, having been said and done before, in a remote time, of our having been surrounded dim ages ago by the same faces, objects, and circumstances, of our knowing perfectly what will be said next, as if we suddenly remember it. Close quote. Surveys show that about one-third of the population has had the most common form of deja vu sensations, and we'll discuss the different forms in a bit. That said, the Skeptic Dictionary has this to say about deja vu. It is an uncanny feeling or illusion of having already seen or experienced something that is being experienced for the first time. If we assume that the experience is actually of a remembered event, then deja vu probably occurs because an original experience was neither fully attended to nor elaborately encoded in memory. If so, then it would seem most likely that the present situation triggers the recollection of a fragment from one's past. The experience may seem uncanny if the memory is so fragmented that no strong connections can be made between the fragment and other memories. There are still other ways of looking at deja vu. For for example... There is a perspective that's known as the multiple universe. And there are notions about parallel universes and and ideas that somehow we become aware of our divided presence in different universes that exist at the same time. There's also this idea of precognition that we have visited recently and, and have seen as defined in some circles as just simply premonition. The feeling that we have had a dream or in some other way been informed precognitively. There are those that believe deja vu is a matter of past lives or clairvoyance, and we could go on. But what's the truth? Could it be that all of the ideas apply sometimes? Now, if you've had a deja vu experience or have questions about deja vu, we invite you to call and join us. You can do that by calling toll-free 1-866-254-1579. And international callers can dial their country code, then 760-918-4300. And again, you can also join us in our chat room at eldentaylor.com. And as Rabinder says, don't forget, forward slash chat. All right. Our guest today is the author of Deja Vu of the Deja Vu Enigma. And she and her co-author, Larry Flaxman, have put together some cutting-edge research and ideas that you will want to know about. She is also the best-selling author of 2013, End of Days or A New Beginning, and Science. And science in this instance is spelled P-S-I as in psi Uns. How new discoveries in quantum physics and new science may explain the existence of paranormal phenomena. And the book, Looking for God in All the Wrong Places. She has appeared on the History Channel's Nostradamus Effect, 
and on 30-odd minutes television. She's been interviewed for dozens of magazines, newspapers, websites, as well as hundreds of radio shows all over the world. Marie is co-host on popular Dreamland Radio. She spent 15 years as a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network in Los Angeles and San Diego. She currently serves as director of special projects to the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Team. So let's get our guest in here. Let's meet Marie Jones. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Marie Jones. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's indeed our pleasure. Start us out by letting, I mean, in reading your book and looking at your background, checking you on the Internet, you are paranormal everything. So what, (laughs) what on earth? You know, triggered that. What caused you to become so involved in the paranormal? You know, everybody asks me that, and I just don't know. (laughs) I was born that way, as Lady Gaga would say. Um, It's just something I have been interested in since early childhood, despite, uh, you know, asking my parents over and over, did anything happen? And they say, no, we don't think so. Uh, and, And I just, it's an interest that has grown over the years along with a love and interest of science. My dad is a geophysicist, so I grew up in a house where there was a lot of hard science discussion and and textbooks and, you know, fellow scientists coming over and talking. And one of the things that I thought was so cool about that is that a lot of times they would come over and talk about UFOs. You know, here were these brilliant seismologists and astrophysicists and geophysicists, and they're all sitting around the table having a beer talking about UFOs. So I think from a real early age, I started to want to put the two worlds together. I just felt like they went together, Uh, but I wanted to to present that in my writing. That in itself is a unique experience. I mean, today, and and you very well know this, there is a great cleavage, and it is is growing between, um, we'll call it the hard scientists, since you said that, and... And so many people that are interested in metaphysical science. Right. I'll put that term in quotes. Uh, Richard Dawkins is quick to jump out there and tell us that of the Royal Academy, 95% of the scientists that belong report that they are agnostic to atheists. Uh, So coming from a background where you have hard scientists that are actually talking about these things, that's... that's, uh, that's a rich background you should cherish. I, I would did. say that's probably how you got there. Yeah, I think so. And and the interesting thing is that these people could never really be open in their academic pursuits with these interests. It was always behind the scenes, um, personal interests that they didn't talk about except amongst themselves. And I grew up seeing this sort of divide and wondering, well, you know, why does this divide exist? because everybody seems to be talking about the same thing with just different, different verbiage, uh, different ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and it seemed like people were on one side of the fence desperately wanting to connect with the people on the other side of the fence, but their profession and the rules of academia pre- prevented them from doing that. I thought that was silly. And as a writer, I'm allowed to sort of walk the middle of the fence. Right. And, you know, there is a certain, I believe, level of dishonesty that is attached that to. I mean, I appreciate that if you're tenured or you're in, in an academic environment, you, you have to be careful. Or you're, you're really risking your job. Right. But uh, but there is a certain level of dishonesty. Let's let's get to this 
uh, Deja Vu book. I found the book very interesting. You uh, you carried out a a definition, if you will, search on Yahoo's answer website, and there was some really interesting, you know, uh, answers that were given when you asked people uh, about their comments and ideas, etc. Share with us some of the insights you gained from that. You know, a lot of people think the usual that Deja Vu is a uh, misfire of memory and you're, you're recalling something that really is happening for the first time, but because of a little neural misfire, it seems like it's happened before. Other people bought into the idea that they were seeing glimpses of past, a past life because they, uh, their deja vu experiences carried with it something of that nature. Not all deja vu does. Deja vu can be just as simple as having a, a five-second feeling like, oh, I did this before, I said this before, with nothing else attached to it. Um, we also heard from people who said that they had precognition, that they, in their deja vu experiences, um, predicted something that was going to happen. We had one guy who said that uh, he had dreamed a car accident was going to occur. Two weeks later, while driving, had a deja vu experience immediately before the car accident, which he was able to divert because he remembered the dream. The deja vu sort of triggered that memory. So it just sort of runs all over the board. So let's let's do this then, just for everybody's benefit. There are different types of deja vu experiences, such as those that have been defined by uh, Arthur Funkhauser. Right, uh, right. Give us, give us these different kinds. Oh, lots of different kinds. Scientists like to break things down into categories. Well, first of all, there's uh, one of the most interesting is jamais vu, which is the feeling that you get it when you see something that should be familiar, but it feels like it's off. And I get this all the time as a writer where you look at a word and, and it just, that's not right. It's spelled correctly. It's the right word, but your sense of familiarity is sort of turned upside down. Um, other kinds of deja vu, we've got deja vécu, which is to already have experienced or lived through something. Mm-hmm. And this is prob- that's probably the most prevalent one, where we feel like we did something before. Uh, deja senti, already felt, more of an emotional I, uh, sense that you've already felt something before. Oh, boy, deja visité, already visited. This, again, is sort of locational or geographic. You feel like mm-hmm. you've been in a place. It goes on. Deja entendu, already heard. Uh, deja lu, already read. Oh, let's see. Deja reve, already dreamed. Deja dit, already said. <laughs> it's just all so these just different about, terms. Yeah, just about all of our senses, well, not just about, literally all of our senses are involved, and we may... And I guess the point I'm getting to is the channel that this may be brought to our attention to may not be the channel we expect. It may be a feeling. It may be a smell. It may be, as you say, it may be a word. It it, it can come through any number of uh, different channels by which we process information. Right. It's just something sensory. It can be a song that you hear. It can be a phrase. I've actually had deja vu with a logo. You know, like a Nike logo. It can be anything that our five senses pick up on or are able to pick up on. But no, it's just such an intense it. feeling. I'm surprised you limited it to five senses after reading some of your work. But okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, what the, the crux of the book is that I think it goes way beyond 
just the five senses. And, sure. you know, science and, and modern medicine and all of the, the research that's being done is limiting us to their view of this is, a, this is a construct of the human brain and here's how it works and here are the parts and da-da-da-da-da. But right. to people okay. who have deja vu, it just doesn't seem that way. Now, when you did your research, did you find that there was a certain personality trait or a characteristic uh, uh, that you could say made a person more prone to deja vu? The only th- couple of things that we came across, this is something that, you know, crosses gender and, and, and race and nationality. What, a couple of things we came up with, we found uh, that as people get older, they have less deja vu, and that could very well be because the parts of the brain that are associated with deja vu are also associated with memory. We also found that people who are exhausted have more deja vu. So our idea was, well, okay, certain part of the brain may be kind of going into dormant mode and allowing another part to be triggered, to trigger the deja vu. And one of the things that we really kind of argued with was the idea that children under the age of nine don't have deja vu. And to us, we thought, you know, kids kids have a lot of experiences. They don't know how to verbalize them. You know, my, my son, when he was seven or eight, was not going to be able to come up to me and say, Mom, I just had deja vu. But he could have very well had that experience and just had no idea how to verbalize it. But other than that, it's anybody and everybody. It doesn't matter what religion, what uh, your political beliefs are. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, the children under nine fascinates me because of some of the classical stories that we have of uh, reincarnation, where it is a young child typically that remembers uh, their past life and right, right. describes that to their parents. And uh, so I, I would think that that would begin with some kind of a sense of deja vu, but perhaps not. It may. And again, I think it's really hard for a child to have the right words to be able to express an idea like, oh, you know, I, I feel like I did this before. Um, so they just sort of go with the flow of the experience and, and forget it and move on to the next thing. Uh, we also oh. found something interesting that uh, that deja vu incidences increase with education and income level. But that really? may very well be because they tend to be people who read more, who are more curious about everything. And so they might be exposed more to the concept of deja vu. And I think sometimes when you're exposed to a concept, it sort of triggers the occurrence. Now, the devil's advocate might well argue that uh, because they're more educated, because they read more, there would be a richer tapestry of uh, memory, synthetic perhaps, but, you know... uh, when you when you do read a lot, uh, there are artificial environments that are created in your mind that the writers are are generating and artificial experiences and, right, and in a very right. real sense, you know, we we vicariously participate in these, and so there could be the, a, a commingling, if you will, of of memories. I think it was well, I know it was Maxwell Maltz that said if it's a synthetic uh, experience. Uh, and, and felt in sufficient detail, we lose the ability to discriminate between that synthetic and real experience. So right, that, absolutely. too, could be the possibility. Yeah, and, you know, uh, imagination, um, how people process experiences, definitely your ability to store long-term memory, short-term memory. I think a lot of those elements are a part of what 
triggers deja vu in people, but it's just really unusual that so many people can say, yes, I have had that experience. And a lot of the people just pass it off as as trivial. Uh, But to some people, it's very profound. Uh, We have a hard break coming up. When we come back, uh, the phones are lit. The chat room is full of questions. We're going to get right to those. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment on Hay House Radio. My guest today is Marie Jones, and we're discussing the Deja Vu Enigma. It's a great book, Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time. There are links on my website to it. Of course, you can find it at Amazon, etc. We'll get Marie's website and other details when we get back. We'll be back after these words from some of our friends. Be sure to stay tuned. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're discussing with Marie Jones the deja vu enigma. But before we get back to today's show, I want to invite you to like our Facebook fan page for Provocative Enlightenment Radio. As a fan of the show, you will receive special announcements and some great incentives from time to time as our way of thanking you for your support. I would also like to invite you to join me on Facebook. And while you're there, uh, you know, you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, I've been uh, invited to be the keynote speaker at the Mind Body Expo in Spokane, here uh, in Spokane, Washington, on June 4th. And for those of you in the local area, I'd love to have you join me. So if you can, please stop by. All right, let's get back to the show. Before the break, we were discussing with... uh, our guest today, this this idea of how, you know, the more education or the more we read, how, how our, our imagination, our fantasies can enrich deja vu experiences. And I have a question, Marie. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Dr. Holloway on, and she talked about dreams and the kind of dreams that we have that prepare us, their kind of... The, preparatory in the sense that they're, she didn't call them premonitions, but precognitive. And then last week we had Dr. Larry Dossie on, and, and he spoke about premonitions and how premonitions, both through dreams and in just normal uh, experiences, uh, should be paid, should, we should pay more, close attention to. Now, today you're talking about deja vu. And I see a pattern here, but I would like to have you explain to our audience how deja vu differs from premonitions or precognitive dreams and then how it shares a common root. Well, how it differs is that at its core, it's a very simple experience, and it occurs very quickly, and it lasts for maybe five or ten seconds, and during the experience, you just have this overwhelming sensation that you have been in a place before you've done something, you've heard something, you've seen something. So that's how it differs. For many people, that's it. It begins, it ends. There's no, uh, there's no warning or precognition attached to it. There's no vision of possibly themselves in a past life. It's just a very bare-bones experience. Um, but where it, where it does kind of link up with dreams and premonitions and 
intuitions and things like that is that there are people who report deja vu experiences that are actually extended beyond five or ten seconds usually that have a precognitive element to them. During the deja vu, they might get a glimpse of the person that they're talking to. They've had this conversation before, but they also get a glimpse of something happening that when they come out of the deja vu experience, is not happening in that reality. It's almost as if they're glimpsing that person in an alternate reality and seeing an alternate future. And we've had people, again, who have dreamt certain dreams and had deja vu experiences that later triggered a memory of the dream. So it, there, there seems to be a connection on that sort of implicate, hidden order where we're all connected, where we're all tapping into a sort of field of information that, that allows us to look into the past, present, and future. And deja vu might be a very simple way that we're doing that. We don't even know it. Implicate hidden order. David Bohm and his holographic universe. We maybe get to that. But let's go to the phones, which is something I promised in the chat room and get, get some questions up here. We have Kelly from Indianapolis, Indiana on the phone. Welcome to Hello. Provocative Enlightenment, Kelly. Hi, Dr. Taylor. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, no, I will be. Um, I will try to be quick as I can so you can take the other callers. No, 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 I no. Wanted... Take your time. <laughs> okay. I wanted to share... Uh, an experience, two different experiences I've had. And the thing that's interesting is I've had these experiences as an adult and not as a child. Um, when the first experience was when I was younger, I just had a desire to go to China. I love China, but I never had a dream about it. And back in 2006, I had the opportunity to go to visit a couple of cities, and when I was in the city of Beijing, and I maybe studied Chinese like maybe 10 minutes on the plane, and that was about it, but when I was there, I was on a city street, and out of the blue, um, I pointed to someone and said that I used to live here over at a house that I pointed at, and I had no clue why I said that. And all of a sudden, the next thing that I replied was something in Chinese, which was correct Chinese. And I didn't say the city was Beijing. I said it was Peking, which is a, which is the mm-hmm. older name of the city. And that was the only time I ever really had that experience. And then a couple years later, I was over at a friend's house for a Hanukkah party, and I am not Jewish, never studied Hebrew. And all of a sudden, during the ceremony of lighting the menorah, I basically started saying the prayer with them, and I have no words in front of me, and I was speaking fluent Hebrew, and my one friend looked at me like I'm, like, you know, she's done. <laughs> and I couldn't repeat anything that I said afterwards. I had no memory of it. Wow. And I just... <laughs> so, I, I mean, is this deja vu or, you know, with the language, speaking languages I've never studied? Or... It's fascinating because there could be so many things. It could be, uh, you know, in the book we also get into savants and prodigies and how there are people that have some parts of the brain that are, are just 
well, you know, for better or worse, dead, but other parts are, are activated beyond normal, and they're able to learn languages and pick up music and know things that they really shouldn't know. But we've heard so many stories like yours where these glimpses come to people that are, you know, pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Now, our idea, and this is not scientific, but our idea is that what is happening is that there is this grid of interlocking realities, whether you want to call them dimensions, parallel universes, what have you, that we are getting a glimpse of ourselves. It could be in a past reality. It could be in a a present reality where we're just in a different location, whatever. But this information field, time is not linear. So it exists all at once, and there are different names for this field, the zero-point field, the Akasha, you name it. But deja vu, dreams, uh, the psychic experiences, remote viewing, these are all different ways that that our brain gets a little tiny glimpse of another reality or another state of consciousness. And our brain... That language situation is really pretty unique, isn't it? I mean, I've never heard of that before. I have. You know, it's funny. There was a story, I think it was last week, about a woman who went in for surgery and woke up with a foreign accent. I know that. Indeed, there's a woman, there's a story, and and again, not a story, it's a true situation. A woman in Indonesia who was in a coma, came out of the coma, no longer could speak her native tongue, but spoke fluent German. And a neurologist explained that away by saying... uh, well, maybe she watched German television. Oh, please. <laughs> but Yeah, but it, I mean, that's it. Go ahead. It makes, I, I know it doesn't make sense scientifically, although I think a lot of the most cutting edge research and books that are coming out and, and even discussions in the quantum physics circle and metaphysical circles is that there is this information field and we can all access it. And in that field is every language and every place and every experience and everything. Now, our brains are designed to keep us on one life track, and that's that's a good thing. Um, you know, our brains measure time in a linear fashion. Our brains uh, allow us to only do a couple of things at a time. But every now and then, we get that, that glimpse of something beyond what the five senses are aware of. And I really think that we all have access to these languages and these experiences. We're not meant to access them all the time. I think we would go crazy. (laughs) Uh, But every now and then we get little hints and then we we pass it off as, oh, I just imagined it or, or, you know, we can't explain it. Science has yet to explain it. It's time that we maybe looked beyond science metaphysics and started to pay attention to the fact that even David Bohm, who is my favorite physicist, talked about this hidden, connected level of, of order. So maybe that's the field that we're tapping into when we suddenly wake up and speak fluent Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Thank you very much for your call, Kelly. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my friend was pretty much I never studied Hebrew and I'm not Jewish and I was just there as a as a friend and and when we were saying the prayer together I was saying every single word right and the correct spelling and 
pronunciation oh, of it. Amazing. And then when it was done, and she asked me, like, "Can you repeat that?" And it was like, "No, you couldn't." I, I, it was, I couldn't, I do couldn't you, do it. Do you remember at all how you felt? Because this is really important. We had a really hard time getting people who could actually remember how they felt emotionally or what was going on when that happened. Were you aware that you were saying those words in Hebrew, or I, was it just sort of a blank out? Um. I had the blank out afterwards, but when I was actually saying the prayer, mm-hmm. I was aware that I was saying words that right. I didn't know before. Um, but the thing that was interesting about China is I'm one who really doesn't like large crowds, and Beijing has 18 million people living right. there, <laughs> and I was walking around the the street and I felt like I was walking my own city streets right, of my alone. own neighborhood and I felt perfectly safe and and everything and I was with a group of people and they were very nervous about getting lost and and you know making sure that they weren't going to get you know um pickpocketed or right, or anything right. And but you felt at I, home, in a sense. I felt perfectly at home. Right. And when I was at the stores and speaking the few nice little polite phrases of Chinese that I learned on the plane, they uh, said that my pronunciations were pretty, you know, excellent, like I was studying Chinese for years. And we had some other lessons on the bus with our tour guide, and out of the 50 people that I was with, I was the only one who actually said everything correctly with the same pronunciation, the same tone, and and everything. Because Chinese is a hard language. Oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> and you, can, you can actually have one word have three different meanings. Right, depending on, on how you say it. Based, right. based on pitch. Based right. on, on pitch and and you know people could say ma or ma or ma and it's like it's how long you say it and it's like I just called you a crazy mother horse <laughs> with, the, the, with the word ma with with the word ma right. and 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 everybody else was in the group was having a difficult time saying the word correctly, and the tour guide was like, how in the world do you know this? And it's like, I don't know. That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. You're lucky. You're blessed that you had that experience. That's a fact. Appreciate you calling, Kelly. Remember Uh, those experiences because they're the things that that absolutely show us that we don't have all the answers. There are many white crows, and that, that... gives rise to the ability to investigate our world with a new awe, new sense of being. Let's take a question out of our chat room. We have uh, Mod Girl, and she would like to know, uh, Dr. Jones, she says, oh, to comment, <laughs> comment on deja vu experience you feel in dreams, and why do I feel a rush down my spine when I have that deja vu feeling? That's that's interesting that there's a more sensory, the physiological reaction as well. And it could just be her. We had people say that they heard buzzing before a deja vu experience. 
I have deja vu all the time right before I feel a little bit dizzy. Um, I have issues with vertigo, and it's almost as if I'm getting vertigo, uh, but then it turns into deja vu. So I think, yeah, definitely there are physiological things that occur, and they could be different for everyone. Maybe a chill. Maybe somebody gets a flush of, of warmth. Uh, that sort of say, okay, something unusual is about to happen. And your body, of course, knows everything, and it reacts first. So it's sort of like, a, okay, get ready. It's a warning. But, that's yeah, that's fascinating. You know, when you say that, I'm reminded of uh, years ago when uh, there were a couple of studies that were being done having to do with the hackles on your neck standing up oh, yeah. for <laughs> unknown reasons, you know. And, and again, like deja vu, I don't think there's anybody that I've, I've ever spoken to or had a conversation of any kind with that uh, hasn't had the experience where maybe they're going to their automobile, it's dark outside, or, you know, maybe it's a, an area that they've always been in, be in front of their home, and then for no reason, suddenly they have the, you know, the hackles on their neck stand up, they they suddenly have this impression that there is this immediate danger, right. and a number of times there is indeed a danger that later, you know, becomes identified with that. How does that relate, or does it relate, in your opinion, to deja vu and chills down your spine? It can, and that I think for some people, deja vu is also an intuitive reaction. Again, maybe a little bit of a precognitive warning about something that's going to happen. Now, And that's not the case for everybody. One of the reasons why may be that when you have deja vu, perhaps you're not consciously supposed to know what it means. Uh, maybe this is a, an experience that is understood on the, a subconscious level. But definitely there are lots of cases of people feeling like it was sort of a gut, gut feeling or an intuition, but it evolved into a deja vu event. So again, I think it's the brain, the body, consciousness, warning, you know, getting getting a message to us that mm -hmm. our present day conscious awareness may be blocking out because we're so distracted by everything else. I mean, it really could be a way to get us beyond the distractions of daily life to pay attention to some of the more important information that our brain is normally filtering out. You know, okay, I can see that I've gotten a little carried away on some of this psi phenomenon. We need to get back to, to looking at. <laughs> <laughs> Your book covers the memory maze in some detail. Oh, yes. Unpack that concept for us and elaborate on it, if you will. Well, we couldn't talk about deja vu without talking about memory because really the two are, are very much related. The thing is, is that we found there's a lot of research out there on the human brain and memory and what parts of the brain are involved. Uh, in processing and storing short and long-term memory. But the interesting thing is there's still a lot of gaps because we still don't know how, in some cases where people have brain damage to those parts of the brain, they still are able to somehow have memory. It's almost as if memory might be projected from some other outer source. And that leads into the whole argument about whether the brain and the mind are the same thing or separate. But just in terms of what we know about memory, we do know that there are parts of the brain involved. We know the hippocampus is involved in short and long-term memory, uh, retainment. Uh, epilepsy studies have shown us that um, the transfer of short-term memory to long-term memory storage occurs in this part of the brain. Those are things that we know for sure. We can go into a laboratory setting or a medical setting and trigger somebody's brain 
to, to remember something and even to have deja vu. This is actually going on and it's happened in the past. The problem again, though, is that for every fact that we think we have about memory, about the way we process it, about the way we remember it, and about the way we recall it, there's always some element of mystery because something will happen to someone that just defies all these facts, defies all logic. And again, right. there's you know, interest in this idea that of the holographic brain, that the information and memories are stored outside the physical brain and projected onto the brain as needed, which is a really intriguing concept. Indeed it is. And what, one thing we do know is uh, good research has, uh, with mice at least, um, over and over again removed areas of the brain where supposedly the ability to run a maze existed, right. only to discover that we didn't remove the ability. And, and when you do that, when you uh, very carefully, uh, and, and I'm not supporting this idea, but it has been very carefully done where literally every area of the brain potentially that could hold a memory has been removed and yet the memory has not, you yep. are left with right. it is it is holographically stored somehow, some way. Okay, right. now listen. It, 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 a couple quick things in a little bit of time we have, and I'm going to be selfish here, but in your chapter titled, Do You See What I See? You cover generative computation, promiscuous combination of ideas, mental symbols, and abstract thought. Explain that, will you, with its, its, its relevance to deja vu. Oh, my gosh. Do we have time? <laughs> yeah, real quick, right? Because I've got, I got, I got a big question I want to ask, but I've got to have this intro in front. Uh, well, really, what we were looking at is how we, how we conceptualize things, I guess you could say. Um, human cognition, we thought it, we, we were the only species that had it. We're now finding out that animals do as well. Uh, but these are the four traits of human cognition. They, they sort of teach us about how the human mind works, how the, the mind is able to create words and concepts and ideas, how it's able to um, differentiate sex and art and love and social relationships. So those are the four areas that we thought set our minds apart from the lesser creatures. But there's been a lot of research recently showing that animals have some cognitive ability as well. And again, the brain is such a mystery to us. We're still trying to figure out how it works, how we process information, what perception has to do with it, what belief has to do with our reality. So absolutely, me, it's all linked. You took me right where I wanted to go, oh, and that's okay. animals, okay? <laughs> so now, now the new research is indicating that animals are, you know, processing in many ways a lot of the cognitive areas that in the past we thought of as being unique to the human being. Right. Well, recently we had Kevin Nelson, a neurologist, on the show. And uh, his, his claim to fame right now is that he has identified a particular REM activity that feeds or underlies NDEs and OBEs. And you write some about those. And he has determined that animals share this experience. My question to you, do animals have deja vu experiences? You know, unfortunately, the only way we would ever know that is to either try to trigger it in their brains the way we do with humans, 
and see if the same parts of the brain light up, but we still don't know what their subjective experience is because we can't ask them. So the closest that we can come to answer that question is, are we able to trigger the same parts of the brain to make it light up the exact same way it does when we trigger deja vu in a human being? Now, Rupert Sheldrake, you know, is showing us that dogs know when their owners are going to come home somehow. Do you think that's linked with deja vu? I mean, you got 10 seconds or so. What do you you think? Absolutely. And I think it all goes back to the same idea that there is this grid of interlocking realities, this field of information. And all of these anomalies or things that we consider to be anomalies are just glimpses into this field of information that we all have access to. All right. It's a great book. It's called The Deja Vu Enigma, A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory, and Time. Marie Jones, our guest today. Marie, how can everybody reach you? Give them your website, uh, contact details in about 15 seconds, please. Oh, my website is www.mariedjones.com. My website with Larry Flaxman is paraexplorers.com. That's P-A-R-A. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. Just look for Marie D. Jones. Got to have the D in there. Okay, cool. Marie, we've enjoyed having you here today. And we've come to the end of another hour of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank you all for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed our show, and you'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And if you have comments on our show, do let us all know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters.